my biggest suggestion, if you have to be asking this question, is make sure you have a sugar mama because the, the money <laughs> is not great. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. A couple of quick pieces of housekeeping here before we get started. One is to let you all know, again, that the voting is active and live for the 2016 Half Hour Intern Award. So you might have seen the episode that goes over the nominees. Um, but either way, just go to the Half Hour Intern page, and on the homepage right there, there is a link to um, a survey where you can vote for the various categories for awards for the 2016 half hour intern awards and then be sure at the end there to vote for your very favorite episode of the entire year the other piece of housekeeping is that i had a nice listener of the show write in saying that he wanted to help support the show and contribute but he was not comfortable with or or just didn't really like the idea of of patreon of doing a a per episode contribution like that he just wanted to do a one-time contribution so thanks to that uh input and advice i went ahead and put a link on the uh, on the half hour intern website under the support section um, of now you can just do a one-time contribution to the show so if that is something that you've been waiting on or wanted to do that is now an option for you and obviously any sort of contribution it, it, it I say this again and again but it seriously means so so much to me it means so much to the show and any contribution of ever ten dollars you'll be getting a cool little gift in the mail from me so that is uh, another cool thing as well so on to today's episode Jesse Vondrasek is an Ironman competitor, and he is like the perfect person to interview for this because up until this point, very recently, it has been a hobby of his, but like a hobby that he is obsessed with and really, really, really into. Like he is, he is at the top of his game in the sport of doing Ironman triathlons. Um, but he just recently quit his job to do Ironman professionally, so he is a professional Ironman, and this is all that he spends his time and focuses on. So he'll talk about the training involved with something like that. Um, He'll obviously explain what an Ironman is exactly for those of us that don't really know what an Ironman is or what the constituents of it are or how long it is or what it all entails. Um, And uh, yeah, we'll talk a lot about diet, exercise, all kinds of training stuff as well. So a lot of interesting info in this episode. Without further ado, here is Ironman. Jesse, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm yeah. pretty excited to be here. This is my first ever podcast. So. All right, let's do this thing then. This is <laughs> going to be awesome. So I will go ahead and give you like a real softball pitch for the first question then. So not to not fluster you on your very first podcast. Well, uh, thank you. What is an Ironman? I like, I feel like I know what an Ironman is, but I also could be totally wrong. Um, so just tell us what an Ironman is. And then are there different types of Ironmans, like different distances, or like official and non-official and all that kind of stuff. An Ironman is a specific distance triathlon. Uh, triathlon is, is the general term for any swim, bike, run event. And then an Ironman is specifically a triathlon that's a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and a 26.2-mile run. Holy crap. That's a lot of... Di- Wait, 26.2. So a marathon is the running portion, like a full marathon after you've done these other things. Yes. That is totally insane. 
Are, I mean, it's good fun. <laughs> are the so the running? I mean, I I just happen to know that number about running. Are those numbers for swimming and the number for um, biking? Like how many miles you're biking for and how many miles you're swimming for? Are those also kind of standalone biking numbers and standalone swimming numbers? Like, are there standalone biking competitions that are just that one thing, just that one number? Um, not, not really. No, um, it was more. It was more created around like with the marathon in mind. And then these guys wanted to come up with like a swim and a bike leg that they felt was kind of like comparable in, um, not really in time or distance, but in like fatigue that they create. So, okay. Interesting. What they're shooting for. So you already told us the, uh, the distance let's talk about time for each of those things then really quickly. So how long could a, how long could one take obviously this is going to be a huge wide range um but is there any sort of average is there an allotted amount of time that they give you or anything like that for the swimming portion for the biking portion and for the running portion um don't quote me on the exact cutoff times for the swim bike and run um but for the entire event um the world record was just set for and it was seven hours and 44 minutes my and god that's incredible the cutoff time is 16 hours so i think the swim is like two and a half hours and then i think you have eight hours to ride and then um what does that leave like five and a half hours for the run yeah and if you're not at the cutoff space of those times then they pull you off course um that man those are really aggressive times i mean finishing a marathon in five and a half hours alone is really impressive to finish a marathon in five and a half hours after you have just ridden for 100 something miles on your bike and having that be immediately after swimming for an hour and a half to two hours or whatever it would be that's (laughs) that's absolutely incredible yeah it can definitely be a long day so how how long like it, the times that you have done this how long does it typically take you to do these um it's it's very course dependent um like i just had my fastest race and that was eight hours and 27 minutes but that was on a pretty flat course and we had good weather so that definitely helps with times okay so they will actually do these in different topographies yeah this last one was in phoenix and so there was you know it's pretty flat around the phoenix area but they have they have them in like saint george utah which is extremely hilly um and then you know there's like one in lake placid and so they you get a a wide range of uh of courses and then also like a wide range of of weather conditions so i guess how is there any sort of like parody then like the the people that are setting records are they always basically just setting records on the basically i would imagine that the phoenix course would have to be the easiest one there is because there's like literally no incline or anything in the entire city of phoenix a lot of the um the prestige in, in triathlon is more based on place because of the varying conditions so you can talk about like how you placed in a certain race and that might be more important than your actual time in the race yeah that totally makes sense and then do they try to at least even the playing field by making it so that the swimming portion is always done in a like lake of some sort or on, I know like some of these are on the coast. Do they ever do the swimming portion in the ocean? Yeah. Those are the most fun. I feel like that's like not fair at all. (laughs) Some people get to swim in a lake and other people have to swim in the ocean. 
Well, I, I mean, again, it's like usually you just compare, like, say, how you did that year to that same race the year before or something like that. And yeah, you try not to not compare from one race to another. Um, like, I did a race in Louisville and the swim was downriver. So that was my fastest swim by like 10 minutes, but it's not like a real, I can't compare that to any other swim. Right. Of course. Of course. How are you being uh, fed and hydrated throughout this entire thing? Because I want to say I was reading online today that, that yeah, like it, looking at the total of all the hours combined, these things start at 7 a.m. usually and are done at midnight. Like that's that's how long people are going for. I mean, unless they're amazing like you and they're doing it in like eight and a half hours or something. Um, so potentially you're going like absolutely all day long to do this thing. Where, when and where are you eating? When and where are you drinking? Uh, so along the course, they have aid stations where they'll give you um food and water and i mean it's like cliff bars and gatorade and stuff like that and then before and after that they've got like areas where you can um drop trash and throw bottles and and things like that okay talk to me about about that talk to me about eating like how how much are you slowing down to to eat or are you at all um, I mean, in like for my first race, yeah, for sure. I was like stopping at the aid stations and, and grabbing like cliff bars from the people and eating cliff bars and then starting to ride again. Uh, at this point I don't, I don't stop at all. And I start out with all the calories on my bike that I need for the entire ride. So that the only thing I have to slow down for is water. Um, cause I can't carry enough water. Right. Um, and I, I try and just make it as, as simple as possible when you're going through the aid stations and only trying to grab water bottles and um, kind of relying on on the calories that that I bring with me. Okay, so let's talk about training for a little bit then. Um, before we talk about the physical um, part of training, which I guess it's all physical part of training, I'd, I'd love to talk about nutrition then a little bit first. What is your diet like year round? And then do you change your diet in the weeks or so leading up to an event? Um, so my, my diet is, I kind of, I shoot for a B plus in my diet. That's kind of how I like to think about it. Um, you know, I don't like to try and eat crazy healthy all the time. I try and have the majority of the food that I take in be, um, like, whole foods, whether that's like fruits or vegetables, like sweet potatoes, um, like organic meat. Um, and then like whole grains that usually I'm like cooking in my house and try and stay as much away from processed food as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, that being said, if it's in the middle of a long ride, I'll stop at a gas station and, you know, get a Coke and a Snickers bar every time. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, uh, I really enjoy a good IPA. So, that that often happens uh, <laughs> and then but, uh, what what happens during the weeks leading up to an event does this shift at all i try and uh reduce fiber intake especially like the three days prior to a race um and really just just focus on on good carbohydrate and and lean protein the last couple of days so that i don't have a bunch of fiber in my system and i can make it eight and a half hours without any uh, GI issues. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask why that totally, totally makes sense. Um, have you ever tried to do a ketogenic diet through this or do you know anyone that does that? 
I I do not know anyone that does that, and I've I've experimented with like the paleo diet, and um, I've yeah, I guess probably I, I close enough, I guess. I mean, if you yeah, because your carbs just naturally get cut down so low. But yeah, I've never gone ketogenic, and I mean, I have for like never any length of time to to be able to speak to it. But what what I found from any experience experience with with dieting or anything like that in with heavy training volume is that you just you really need a large amount of carbohydrate in order to train at a high level and if you start cutting carbohydrate out then you're just you're going to start your workouts are going to show that and um i guess it depends on what your goals are if your goals are to be able to go for a five-hour ride and just drink water um you might be able to do that on a diet like that but you're not going to be able to ride the fastest 112 miles that you possibly can right you're saying like your sprint times might suffer like your power might suffer right Mm. um so yeah i mean i i'm kind of a firm believer in in carbohydrate and i mean i race on basically pure sugar and um it's i mean it's kind of gross but um (laughs) it, it, it gets the job done no it's so funny um about i don't know like a year ago or something we had a um an ultra marathon runner on the show and you know he's the same i mean that whole sport is that way he was saying that that like at the tables they will have just like cokes and oreos and stuff for the for the runners at the tables right. which was just such a funny thing to me i can't believe that and, but at the same time i can it makes so much sense all right let's talk about the um like the physical prep side of this and exercising and everything so first of all i guess why don't you tell us how many events you are doing in the course of one year um, I tend to race about 12 times a year. Whoa. Oh my God. I thought, oh, wow. That's incredible. Wow. But, Jesse, you are the man. I thought it was going to be like max four or something. But wait, the, they're not all, I usually do only like two Ironman races a year. Okay. The rest are just other triathlons. Okay. I can't, I can't do 12, 12 Ironmans a year. Okay. So, so like 10 of them are, are shorter in length than what, what would the length be of, of a usual, like just kind of prep one that you would do? Um, it would either be an Olympic distance or a half Ironman and an an Olympic distance is basically a quarter Ironman and a half Ironman like distances are cut in half. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so what is your, I guess, what is your exercise regimen like and your training regimen like, and is there, obviously I imagine that you, when you're training, you just do a bunch of running, biking and swimming because of muscle memory. And I mean, that's like what you need to be doing. Um, is there one of those three things that is kind of more important than the other two that you really need to stay on top of? So, yeah, I mean, for training, I do a lot of swimming, biking and running. That's, that's about it. Uh, so for me personally, cycling has always been my, um, my weakest link. Uh, so I, tend to put the most emphasis on riding my bike. Um, but I think that for everyone, it's, that can be a very different answer to that question. Um, so yeah, I focus a lot on endurance and endurance on the bike. I, I grew up swimming, so I don't need to worry as much as maybe some other people do about time in the pool. Um, I still need to swim a lot, but not as much as maybe some people do. And Running has come a little bit more naturally to me, but but cycling has definitely been my uh, my sticking point. What have been the difficulties, I guess, that you found with cycling that you don't really find with the other two? I mean, particularly when you were getting started with all of this. 
Um, when I run, like it feels great to just kind of try and run fast. And I tend to enjoy that. And when I get on a bike, I just want to like, like soft pedal to the grocery store. You know, I, (laughs) I, it's, it's not, it doesn't come naturally for me to like want to ride a bike fast. And I'm, I get very cautious, like going downhill. I don't really like to, to go crazy fast down hills. And I ride with guys that like, that's what they live for. You know, they hate going uphill, but they'll go 60 on the downhills. Um, and I'm like, well, I don't really I'd like to go over 35. So just kind of getting used to riding hard and, and really figuring out how to engage uh, like all my muscles while I'm cycling. Uh, it's pretty easy to become very quad dominant and not use your glutes when you're riding. Yeah. And, and to try and work on really getting everything to engage and, uh, and just feeling comfortable uh, out of breath on a bike is has been something I've, I've had to kind of learn how to do. How important, uh, you mentioned the whole entire quad dominant and getting your glutes firing and all that. I guess as you get into the upper levels of this or even just doing it frequently, period, I imagine it's so important to be focused on on like posture and, and pr- very, very proper form while you're doing everything. Um, I guess talk a little bit about that and, and like h- how much like I guess the learning curve has been with just doing everything like absolutely properly form wise. Um, it's It's been a pretty steep learning curve. <laughs> I've definitely uh, got myself injured a few times um, by not doing that. And I think it's, it's an easy thing to do to uh, like you get slightly off center on your bike and then you stay that way for three rides in a row. And then all of a sudden, that's how you ride now is slightly off center. And now you're changing your muscle patterns and one side is getting stronger. The other side's getting weaker. Um, so really staying on top of like what you're doing while you're riding and, and running especially, um, is, is really important. And then doing things like besides that, uh, like I, I do strength work at least twice a week in order to focus on keeping everything firing and, and keeping the right muscle groups engaged and focusing on like my weaker muscle groups, um, in order to aid, aid with that. And that's something that I haven't done throughout my entire career. And I wish I had, because I've, I think it could have helped a lot of the problems I had earlier on in my career. Um, doing more weight training, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Because then you can kind of purposefully maybe counterbalance some of the the things uh, or i guess like you were saying if, if the muscles start to get too dominant on one side of your body with weight training you can like pretty quickly pick up the other side of your body exactly and yeah it's pretty easy to um to have one like one muscle group that that's kind of taking over and so if you're doing something like weight training you can you can kind of rectify that much more quickly than you can by changing your pattern on on the bike or the run right for sure um what other sorts of training things do you do like is there anything else ancillary to all of this that you find really really helps you get ready for an event Uh, my wife and i are pretty serious ping pong players (laughs) that's great um uh no i mean we do play ping pong but that was a joke um (laughs) I, I think, I mean, really, I, I just swim, bike and run a lot. I think that's, that's, I think volume is, is really important. I think volume at a lower intensity just to help increase your durability in the sport is extremely important. And, um, and I think that core work, strength training and doing something for like, like flexibility and self-care 
like there's a lot of little things in there that that people tend to skip over um like i try and do yoga at least a couple times a week and um, like i said i think core work is 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 so important to help i mean there's so much you need so much stability in in riding and in running that if you have a weak core um you're going to start uh twisting and that'll just kind of change everything um so how could how would you uh prioritize those things i guess Uh, i always wondered that myself like if i if i um like as i've gotten older i care so much more about my posture at the gym and um and uh just like the way that i'm doing everything and as well like i try to stretch every morning and stuff like that but sometimes those things like fall to the wayside and then i try to do yoga sometimes and it's like it it, it just becomes a lot of things to do then you know <laughs> like it's like oh man like i also i gotta stretch and also i gotta do a little bit of yoga and also i gotta go to the gym and also i gotta be focused on this so then when you only end up having let's say two days a week to really work on something like what would you prioritize um in that case what what do you think would be more important than the other things would it be flexibility would it be overall strength would it be like endurance what would you be going for um and this is like the most cop-out answer ever but i'm gonna say it depends it depends on who you are and what your strengths and weaknesses are um because like some people might need to stretch they that might be the one thing they need to do to keep from getting injured um other people might need to use a foam roller because that helps you know keep keep them healthy and other people might have a weak core so they just need to be doing planks like for for 10 minutes three times a week and that's if that's all they have time for then that's all they have time for but i i would say that yeah you need to kind of figure out like what your weaknesses are and then and then target that if especially if you have limited time um but to kind of give a more general answer i would say doing a few exercises that focus on on good patterns like almost exactly what you were just talking about like if you're going to do something then do something extremely well and then stop like do you know three sets of squats where you're looking in a mirror you're making sure your knees are knees are tracking perfectly and you're making sure your butt is behind you and staying nice and low. And don't worry about doing 17 other things. Like, just go do that really well. And, like, maybe that's enough if that's all you have time for. Yeah, and what you said earlier about the swimming coming easier to you when you were a kid, that's so true about, uh, I mean, your answer is not at all like a cop-out answer. It's like the right answer, you know, because you never know, like, what you did when you were a kid or this or that that all of a sudden made that some strength of yours like forever a lot of those things like stay with you you know like people that maybe did gymnastics for a few years when they were a kid if you ask them like they could have not stretched a day since and if you were to ask them to like reach down and touch their toes right now they would do it just effortlessly you know or just the way that people's bodies are built like some people just have really huge legs like really huge quads you know or like some people have a really huge butt or whatever it is and it's like if you got a huge butt already you probably don't need to do deadlifts as much or whatever it is you know like you're all good maybe focus on your your stomach and like your core in the front to to counterbalance the fact that you have a really huge butt um yeah i mean everyone's just built uh, you know a little bit differently so i guess that's a great advice to analyze like how it is that you were built exactly and what you might want to do to 
to balance you out rather than to enhance the things that you're already good in, which, by the way, is great philosophy for life in general. So, <laughs> All right. I would love to talk about the world championships. So you have all these different Ironman events throughout the entire year, but I read that there is a world championship that happens in Hawaii every single year. What is the difference between that world championship event and the other Ironman events? And how do you even get an invite to the world championship? Um, all right. So I'm going to give you, give you kind of a long answer to this and I apologize for that. Um, so Ironman was started in Hawaii and it was like three guys that thought it'd be cool to put together this event and to see if they could even do it. And so that's, that's how Ironman was born and it was born in Kona. And that's why it's where the world championships is now. It's been on the same course that, uh, well, I guess a similar course to the course that they did for the very first Ironman ever. Um, so it's, it's kind of steeped in history and it's, um, it's a pretty exciting place to go if you're a triathlete just because of that. And then besides that, it also, since it's in Hawaii, you know, there's points on the run when the, uh, the air temperature is like 113 degrees and 90% humidity. And there are points on the bike where you're going through lava fields and there's like 30 mile an hour gusts of wind. And then the swim is an ocean swim. So it's kind of got a little bit of everything for you there as far as the course goes. Um, so all those things kind of make it a very special race to begin with. And, and then now, since there's been a pretty rapid increase in popularity of Ironman, uh, it's, and it is the world championships, they've come up with like a process to get there. And for professional athletes, it's based on a point system that you get points by racing other Ironman branded races throughout the year. And they take your top four races and they put together the points for those. And then they rank everyone and they take approximately the top 50 athletes to Kona and the top 35 female athletes, um, based purely on points. Age groupers is a little bit different where they have a, a number of slots allocated at every race. Like for example, if you're a male in the 35 to 39 age group, and you go to an Ironman, there's probably going to be two spots in your age group, which means you probably have to be first or second in your age group in order to get a spot in order to race in Hawaii. Wow, that's crazy. How old are you? I am 35. Okay. Wow. So you have to be like one of the top two people in the whole world to be able to go to this event. Well, so since I raced professionally, it's based on points for me. Um but yeah, if I was racing age group, then I would have to have, um, yeah, you'd have to be either first or second in, in an Ironman event. And so, but since there are like 40 of them around the world throughout the year, like that kind of makes it a little bit easier, I guess. Mm -hmm. So have you ever been able to go to one of these world championships, Jesse? I went when I raced age group along in like 2008 and I have been trying to go back since as a professional, but um, being one of the top 50 professional triathletes in the world is is harder than it sounds, I think. I Well, it <laughs> sounds really, really hard. So that means that it must be just extremely difficult. Um, is that the world championships in Kona, I would have to imagine is like 
the course that people are trying to set the fastest time on like that has to carry the most weight right um it's well it does but since the course is is a very challenging course they've had some fast times there but never like not even close to world championship times on that course um but so they just kind of compare your time on that course to other races on that same course not to like for example you wouldn't compare a time in kona to a time he did in like the the race in phoenix right 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 so talk to us about your story with starting iron man you told us the whole story with iron man in general how did you get started um well like i said i swam in high school and then i swam a little bit in college um and every time i'd go home like for the summer from college i would just end up spending basically every night drinking with my high school friends and that's what they did and that's what we did and that was good fun but eventually i was like i need to not be totally out of shape when i go back to school and try and start swimming in the fall and there was a little olympic distance triathlon in my town and um i didn't own a bicycle at the time so i found this older guy who had a bike and he let me borrow it and so i went for a few rides and did some running that summer to to try and get ready and did the triathlon and i mean i did horribly but it was kind of fun and then after the race i was talking to the guy who i borrowed the bike from and he was actually he did one of the first ironmans in hawaii and so he started telling me about ironman and the ironman in hawaii and um it kind of became became a bucket list item at that point and what are the odds that this guy had done that that's so crazy yeah especially i mean small town in upstate new york like it's not triathlon and iron man was not very big there at all so it was definitely pretty random um but yeah a few years down the road i ended up doing an iron man and uh i i think i went pretty well for my first one i was like 11 hours and 15 minutes or something like that and i had a lot of fun doing it and uh decided i want to do another one and uh the rest is kind of history from there love it man what is your favorite iron man memory that you have from the uh the past however many years so as far as a specific memory that's that's a really tough one but i would say that like the moments in the race when everything's going right or like you know you're in flow or whatever words you want to call for for that feeling um when that happens and it doesn't happen every race maybe i get two races a season maybe it doesn't happen for a couple of seasons but those moments when that happens um i mean that's that's one of the best feelings you can ever get when you're racing like being in a flow state or i guess what runners would call like a runner's high or something like that um yeah like more of a flow state maybe not maybe not a runner's high that's that's more like endorphins and um you know just just like a serotonin dump but uh but yeah when you're feeling flow and you and you know you just everything feels easy and you know it's not easy but it it feels good to be doing what you're doing how how long do these moments last when you feel like that uh sometimes it's it's a couple of minutes and sometimes it's four hours on the bike and um 
So, so since yeah. since you've gotten to have these feelings, do you ever? I, I mean, this sounds awesome. I, I picture like the movie The Matrix and like where Neo just like <laughs> he like figures everything out, you know, and he can like see everything differently. And yeah. um, I feel like I've had maybe kind of one moment like that in my life, and it only lasted for like ten seconds or something like that. It, mine wasn't like exercise related; it was more almost like meditation related or something. Nice. It's interesting, yeah, but yeah. anyways since you have this like exercise induced phenomena, which, you know, is something that, that a lot of people talk about and being in flow states and stuff like that. Um, is this something that you have tried to recreate then? Like, like, do you like purposely when you're training, like try to figure out like how to get into this flow state? Um, yes and no. I, uh, so I try and, I try and replicate, yeah, as much as I can, but I, it's, uh, I feel like it's definitely not something I can like force my way into. Uh, yeah. I feel like what I've, what I've got better at is kind of like faking it. If, if I can't, if it doesn't happen, I can kind of fake it and get myself pretty close, um, by kind of willing myself there. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And when you're in these flow states, like try to describe it a little bit more for, for anyone <laughs> that we could describe this more for. Is it almost like being like a, like a, a almost like an out of body experience type thing. Like, like you feel like you've transcended the situation, you know? So there's no pain, no difficulty. It's like, I, you know, this is just, ha- I don't know. I, yeah. It's, you know, it, I, it's really hard to put into words, but I guess what I would say is oftentimes when I'm racing, I'm thinking about everything. I'm thinking about like, Oh, I need to be eating. I need to be drinking. I need to make sure I'm riding with a higher cadence. I need to make sure my power on the bike is staying like steady and I'm having all these thoughts and I'm trying to kind of like micromanage myself while I'm racing. And then if I'm, if I'm like flowing, then I'm not thinking it's just happening. And like, there's, there's not like that little voice inside my head. That's like asking me if I'm doing these things, everything is just like, it, you're just like feeling it being done it is like neo in the matrix then it's like you, <laughs> you you are for you are momentarily present you are momentarily like in reality as opposed to being this other person inside of your head that claims to be you that's trying to do all these different things <laughs> instead you just are you like yeah. it's like being in a flow state it's like you get to be yourself for for a little while as opposed to just being a little mini manager inside your brain right yeah it's uh it sounds funny when you say it back to me like that, but, but yeah, that's basically, it. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful, man. That's a great thing. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the money stuff on this. How, like, what are the chances, I guess, of, of winning any sort of prize money? Um, and then what, so there, it, when I say, what are the chances? I mean, like how many people are in an event and then how many people win money? And then, uh, like how much money is involved for like first place, let's say, and then how much money if you were in, let's say like 10th place, if 10th place even gets paid at all. Um, so I, I'd say my, my biggest suggestion, bef- if you have to be asking this question is make sure you have a sugar mama because the, the money <laughs> is not great. Luckily, luckily my wife has, has been willing to, to help me as, as I'm kind of taking this leap and quitting my job because the, uh, the prize person is, are it's it they're set up so it's hard to make a living unless you're at the very top um so in like the last triathlon or last ironman in phoenix the first place finisher got like 10 or twelve thousand dollars 
And then the 10th place finisher got $750. Oh, wow. So it's just a massive difference between first and, you know, just being a few. Well, first of all, let's talk about that. Is it is it being a few minutes behind or is it like like how far behind would 10th place be from first place? Uh, it's again, that's, that's so race dependent, but like for, in just cause I happen to know the times, um, from the last race, the winner went seven forty four, And I think the people in the top 10 were like around eight twenty one, So okay. they were 35 minutes behind. So it's never like, or I shouldn't say never, but it's not usually like the person that comes in first gets $12,000 and the dude that was in third was eight seconds behind them like you know they were just right there it's like usually no like they came in like five minutes later or something yeah i mean there has been a few sprint finishes over the years but in general there's at least a few minutes separating people at that point in the race okay cool interesting um and and the field size is like in that race i think there was 55 pro males that were starting and the top 10 got a paycheck okay and what about the uh, the time involved for somebody if they wanted to become a, a pro in this? Like, or, or I guess I shouldn't say if you wanted to become a pro in this. Just period, because most people aren't going to be aren't going to you know quit their day job to do this. So most people are going to have to have a day job. So uh, when you had right before you quit your job and and you were working like let's say a forty hour a week, is it like every moment of every day when you're not at your job you have to be training? Um basically yes uh i'd say that like one thing that working and training taught me was how to be extremely efficient at like my job and at life um to kind of minimize like all those all the moments where you're like between a meal and doing something else or like you know getting ready to go to work and just kind of condensing all those moments to to very little time so that there's more time for training and and um recovery i think I think I was training about like 22 hours a week. I mean, on a, on an average when I had a, a full-time job. Wow. That's crazy to think. That's absolutely crazy. I can't imagine that. So that, I mean, that leaves you with such little time to be doing anything else, especially when you consider the time involved of just, yeah, like, like you were saying, just getting dressed and this and that, like the other, the other little things probably added to those 22 hours of training, like getting to a gym or whatever it is that, that expand that even further and then needing to eat your meals. It's like that leaves you with almost no time to watch a TV show or read a book or anything. Uh, that is, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, my wife is, uh, is all pretty happy that since I have quit my job, I can actually do some things around the house now because that left a lot of that on her while I was doing that. So how, how much have you shifted? Um, like now that you want to do this full time and are doing this full time, what, what sort of time are you going to be putting into it now? Um, as far as training hours, yeah, training uh, hours, they've, they've bumped up to like, in the low thirties for, I mean, that's kind of just for my Ironman build. That's not like sustainable, but just for like, you know, the few, like four weeks before the Ironman race. Um, and then besides that, they're in like kind of the upper twenties. And so, I mean, it doesn't sound like a huge shift. Well, but, but yeah. And at a certain point you're doing more harm than good. You can't just go working out forever. Right. And you kind of have to ease in, like, I can't just go from training 22 hours a week to training 38 hours a week 
like then I would just, you know, I just break. So I'm kind of working on increasing my durability, adding in volume over time. Yeah. So hopefully next season I can, you know, get my hours a little bit higher. Okay, cool. Have you started to see more of a shift towards things like CrossFit or like I had an American Ninja Warrior on the show, which um, is, I guess, uh, similar just in like the calisthenics and like different weird whole body stuff. Um, Do you see more of a shift towards things like that in the past few years or does there still seem to be like the same level of kind of like hype and excitement around Ironman when you're at these events? Um, I would say that like, the growth of Ironman is definitely declined. Like it's still growing, but it's not growing quite as fast as it was. Um, and it's probably because of all these other things that have, have, have come up. Um, so to that extent, um, you know, there, there's more things for people to do in order to stay active. So I think that's a great thing. And I, I think it's, it is taking away from the growth of triathlon a little bit, but um, I think it's kind of appealing to a slightly different audience. All right, Jesse, let's go ahead and uh, finish this thing up, man. If uh, if anyone here listening would like to get started with triathlons or Ironman, I guess what sort of piece of advice would you give to someone just wanting to start out? I would say start out slowly. like Take your time and really focus on the foundational skills of like you know learning how to ride your bike well, learning how to swim efficiently, and learning how how to run efficiently as well and not try and jump into like, oh, I've never done any of this stuff. I'm going to sign up for an Ironman that's a year from now and then figure it out. Um, I think your body will thank you if you kind of ease your way in and, uh, and yeah, start slowly and potentially hire a coach if, if that's something, if it's something you're going to be taking seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Good advice, man. And good advice throughout the whole episode. I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jesse. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. Do not forget, it is voting time for the 2016 Half Hour Intern Awards. So head on over to halfhourintern.com. And there is a link right there on the front of the homepage to submit your own votes for who you think should be winning awards for the 2016 Half Hour Intern Awards. So go to halfhourintern.com, click the link right there on the front, and submit all of your votes. It's not an all or nothing type thing. If there are certain episodes that you didn't hear or categories that you don't feel comfortable voting for, that's all good. Just vote for the ones that you do know about, that you uh, that you feel comfortable voting for, and uh, be sure to write in your favorite episode of the entire year as well. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.